All right, so welcome everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Hasn't this been a great conference so far? I mean, we're only halfway through, but it's, man, it's strong, isn't it? How about Brady's message this morning? Did you guys, did you guys hear Pastor Brady this morning, the morning, morning session? Man, I am still chewing on that message. I think it's going to stick with me for a few, a few days here before I really get it. It's going to hit me like a, like a Mack truck, like on Friday morning. You know, I'm, um, I'm excited. My name's Michael Calhoun. I, have, I help lead One Child Matters. We, uh, we change the world every day. We create world changers. And, and I have a feeling I've got a room full of world changers. Uh, with, a, with an app session or a breakout session title like Changing the World for One Changes Everything, uh, you know, I use that really as a filter because I know that's only going to attract a certain kind of person, that, that we're going to have a room full of people who, who really do want to change the world. Just to tell you a little bit about me before uh, we jump in, uh, I have the privilege of helping to lead One Child Matters, which is an organization that, that rescues children from poverty. Uh, we uh, serve about 40,000 children around the world. We're in 15 countries and when I say we create world changers, I mean these children are world changers. You know, there's a, there's a God-given potential and a destiny in each and every one of them that we, we get the privilege of helping to unlock. But we don't do it alone. Here's the best part. We create world changers over here, too, because we connect one person with one child. And we create this really, really powerful personal ministry, this unique opportunity for us to be the kingdom of God, the reflection of our Father's heart to a child who is born into a circumstance that says, your life is meaningless. And so when we say one child matters, we really believe that. And when we say that changing the world for one changes everything, we really believe that. So let's just start there. Uh, Let's start with that thought for a second. And just so you know, I'm not a preacher I'm not going to, I don't have a, a, a brilliant three-point sermon, and I'm not going to unpack it like that. Um, I, uh, I just want to have a conversation with you today. Is that okay? Can we just have a conversation, a little heart-to-heart? That's why I needed you to press in so that we could, we could feel more like it's just us, us talking. Um, I want to share a little story with you. I, I, don't, I don't know if you'll believe this, okay? Uh, but one year ago yesterday... I was summiting Mount Kilimanjaro. And I'm, I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing these faces and I'm thinking, there's some people who are like, wow, that's awesome. I'm seeing some faces that are looking at me going, I don't know why this guy would start his, his breakout session with one big lie. There's no way that guy <laughs> climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. For those of you who aren't familiar, Mount Kilimanjaro is one of the seven peaks of the world, like the, the big deal, like your Everest and all that, and then and Kilimanjaro's in there. Uh, it's 19,341 feet. How many of you are from Colorado? All right. I'm from Colorado. It's my, it's my family right there. How many of you are from somewhere else that doesn't have mountains? Oh, well, kind of, sort of, yeah, a little bit of, okay. So if we all looked looked over here at Pikes Peak, that's 14,000 feet. So 19,341 feet is like 
take a third of that mountain and then pile it on top. That's, yeah, I climbed that. And now everybody in the room's like, no way, no way. So uh, I brought proof. Um, can we show some proof? Oh, it's there. Look at that. Okay, so that's me, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, and you're going, yeah, that, that, that kind of shot could be anybody. Okay, let's get a little closer. I wanna... <laughs> so I want to tell you a little story from my time on Kilimanjaro. Okay, there's me. You can see, you can see kind of the chubby cheeks right there. Uh, you know, that was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And last night I was reflecting on it and actually decided just to throw it in at the beginning of the session and share something with you guys. Um, just decided to do that last night while I was reflecting on, on wow, it's been a year. Uh, we had a group of world changers come with us to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Every single, we had 20, 23 of us, and every single one of us climbed for one child. And we went and met that child living in poverty there in Africa. And, and we looked in their eyes and we said, you know what, I'm going to conquer a mountain for you because we know you can conquer the mountain that you face. And so we all climbed together, and I want to share something personal from that trip with you. I haven't even really had the opportunity to share it with too many people, but on that trip, day one, we're getting going, I'm amped, I'm excited, and I'm thinking day one's easy. It's a five-day climb to the summit, and then two days back down. So the first, <laughs> the first day, I'm thinking this is just excitement, adrenaline, and it's going to be easy. The hard stuff is like day three, four, five. And, uh, you know, I was an athlete, you know, was being the key word. I was an athlete, and, uh, you know, I actually have some, some, some knee injuries from, from back in the day, and um, they'll, they'll, they'll give me a little hard time every once in a while. Well, my excitement, day one, I, d I didn't stretch. I didn't put my little knee brace on. And we came out of the gates, and it was harder than I thought. Day one was harder than I thought. And we got to the end of day one, and I, uh, my knee was killing me. I mean, the kind of like one more step, I don't know if I can do it kind of pain. And I thought, okay, tonight I gotta, we're going to pop some ibuprofen. We're going to get the swelling down. Tomorrow's a fresh start. Here we go. Woke up the next morning, and it was worse. And I thought, man, I was going to change the world. I was going to hit the top of this mountain. And I'm not going to be able to do it. I, I, I felt a, a hopelessness about this adventure that I was so excited about. There's no way I can do this. I got a 40-pound backpack on. My knee's killing me. I'm done. Day one. I'm the first one to drop out, right? That's what I'm thinking. I'm done. I can't do it. And the truth is I couldn't do it on my own. So the picture I want you to see here is this picture right here. So the man standing behind me, notice I don't have a backpack on. The man standing behind me, his name is Gideon. Ironic, right? So Gideon was one of our guides. And when Gideon saw after day one that my knee wasn't going to let me go any further, he said, give me your backpack. And I said, it's a 40-pound backpack. That's not going to make a difference. You know, I'm a 230-pound guy. This is like a 40-pound backpack isn't going to make a difference. He said, just give me your backpack. Let me carry that for you. And so he took the pack, and somehow it just gave me just enough to be able to keep going. That's the power 
of one. One person impacted my journey. He didn't carry me to the top. He didn't make it happen for me. He couldn't carry me for the next five days. But you know what he could do? He could walk with me, just take a little bit of weight off my shoulders. And he gave me that sense of hope that I could make it. And he walked every step. What you see there, that's how it was all the way to the top. Gideon was right there with me the whole entire journey. And you know what? I summited. That's, that's summit day. And that's me doing what I thought I couldn't do. That's the story. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the power of one. And I don't want to just talk about it in the context of what we have the privilege of doing, connecting one person to one child through One Child Matters, what we do. That's great. We walk it out every day. It's, it's, it's the core. It's the heart of what we do. So I see it every day. But I want to talk about it as a ministry philosophy You know, this is a room full of leaders, pastors, people who are leading others to make a deep impact in our world. So I I want you guys, I want to challenge you with this thought as a ministry philosophy today. You know, is it any accident that God chose to send his only begotten son? That's the way, that's the gospel story, right? That's, That's the central point of it all. He sent one. You know, I could even go a step further and say he sent a child. That's how the whole redemption plan started, with one child. That right there is a powerful thought. We could, we could spend some time with that. But I, I just want to focus on that, that for a second, the idea that God sent his only son. And is it any accident that if you look at the big picture of the gospel story. Really, it's about a one-to-one relationship with our Heavenly Father. Once again, it's personal. You see, um, throughout Scripture, we see a common theme. We see that our God knows us, that He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows our name. It's personal. I don't think that stuff's by accident. So that's the thought I want to unpack with you today. I want to talk about the power of one. I want, to, I want to talk about how that really is the heart of Jesus, the heart of our Father, and the example that we should follow. I want to talk about the fact that in order for us as leaders to unlock the destiny of our people, we need to connect them with an opportunity to unlock the destiny of another. So I want to I want to spend time on that. Let me let me show you a picture of somebody here. This is um, this is Sambeth. So I just this picture was taken just this summer. I had the opportunity to meet uh, Sambeth in uh, here in the United States, but she was actually a graduate of our child sponsorship program. Now she was over here in the United States. Uh, doing some intern work, learning, growing, because she's currently studying to be a doctor. So she's from, her story started in Cambodia. And, and I just want, <laughs> let me give you an idea of how tremendous this moment is. Because you look at her and you see a successful young, young woman. I tell you, she's, she's in medical school, going to be a doctor. 
her story started with her mother committing suicide by hanging herself in their little one-room shack hut. It's thrown together with, you know, metal and wood just thrown together. One room, three siblings, and they all sleep, sleep together. And one night she woke up and her mother was dangling above her. She was 10 years old. And she recounted to me the story of how she had to climb up the wall to let her mother down because she didn't know what was happening. I want you to think about that for a second. Some of us have children. But even for those of us who don't, we know 10-year-old what we were like. Can you imagine that? And so her story started there. In poverty, mother commits suicide. And then six months later, her father is killed in a robbery. Suddenly, she's the oldest of her siblings, and there's, there's no family unit. They had no aunts, uncles, cousins, grandma, grandpa, nothing. When she was telling me about her story, she was saying to me, my life was over. There was nothing left. There was no hope. My story was ended. You know, there's, there's, there was, they thought they were worthless. And so here, the, here these children are scrounging around on their own in this village just trying to make it. And so the chief of the village says, we got to find somewhere for them to be. And they had heard about the One Child Matters program nearby. And they brought them to us. And that's when her story changed. And she was connected to a sponsor. She was connected to one person who, like Gideon in my story, came alongside her, didn't solve all her problems, didn't take them all away, didn't remove her from her situation, loved on her, and walked it out with her. And so she graduated high school, valedictorian, I will add. She went on to college and is now in medical school. And do you know what her dream is today? It's to go back to the same village she came from and to open a medical clinic for poor children who can't get medical treatment the same way. That's what she's going to do with her medical degree. Is that amazing? Her, I asked her when we were sitting there, and she's unpacking this, and I'm bawling my face out because I'm overly emotional about this kind of stuff of a tender heart, and I'm crying and trying to get questions out. One of the questions I asked her is, what does your name mean? It's, it's messing me up right now. Just think about it. Her name means treasure. And her circumstances and the start of her story told her she was worthless and had no value. And somebody came alongside her and actually fulfilled her destiny with her and showed her that she is a treasure. That's the power of one. So when we think about that as leaders, I think it's important that our people know that although few of us can change the world, right? It's, it's a lot. It's big. There are a lot of problems out there. Every single one of us can change the world for one. 
We all have that power. We just need to do it. There's a, uh, something I refer to as the ripple effect. When we focus on the one, we can create this ripple. And it's a tiny ripple at first. You've seen it. A raindrop falls into a puddle. And you see it, right? Or you throw a rock into a lake and you see it. And it starts really small. But if you watch that ripple, it continues to grow. And it moves out and it moves out and it moves out. And anything that's in its path gets touched, doesn't it? I believe that's what we do when we engage with the one, when we connect. It's that ripple effect. One of the things that I think as a leader in ministry can be really challenging is our our people have a tendency to store up their greatness. Have you ever experienced that? Where we're holding on to, we're waiting for that big moment. We're waiting for... Billy Graham to hand us the microphone and bring us onto his stage and it's like I'm saving it all up I'm storing it all up then I let it loose right so I'm consuming and I'm consuming and I'm getting ready and I'm learning and I'm growing and one day that big stage will come to me and I'll let it all out let's not let our people do that we're not here to store up our greatness we're here to contribute we're here to make a difference that greatness is every day in all the small things, small interactions, the individual that God has put in our path. And I think for our people, if we can unlock that thinking of stop storing it up, start letting it loose, and don't stop. Don't stop letting your greatness out. We talk a lot about being the hands and feet of Christ on this earth. It's, it's, uh, we hear it at church. We hear it. It's really... It's almost become cliche. We say it so much. Let's be the hands and feet of Christ. We really can't be the hands and feet of Christ unless we have the heart of Christ. And so what is that then? If we need to know, if we want to be, have the heart of Christ, we need to ask ourselves, what is the heart of Jesus? I had somebody say to me once that um, if you want the blessing of God, you must care about what he cares about. It's a simple thought, but I wish even in my own life that I asked myself that question more often. What does God care about? For God so loved the world, right? We started with the only begotten son. This, that, that was the answer. For God so loved the world. What does that mean? I think God's heart is for the one. He's the shepherd that will leave the 99 for the one. He will go after the one. I love reading scripture where Jesus is with people. And uh, I see kind of this common thread throughout scripture where the crowds are pressing in. Everywhere Jesus went, People noticed, right? So the crowd starts pressing in. But if you look at those stories, what you always see is Jesus focuses on one in amidst the crowd. He sees through the crowd, and he engages personally with somebody. Have you ever noticed that? 
There, there, there's, there's something to that. He's modeling something for us. And he engages them personally. Name, face, story. He's engaging them in a personal way. His outreach was always personal. Here, I want to read through Matthew 25, 31 through 46 with you. I think it's a great example of the heart of our Father. It's where Jesus is talking about final judgment. And he says, When the Son of Man comes into his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now here's where he says why you get that reward. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you see the sick or see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He, he goes above and beyond there to let you know just how, how far you missed the mark there. Depart to go to the place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now there's something in this. We've all read that passage of scripture There's something in this that I think some of us may overlook. Do you notice the I and you language there? When I was hungry, you fed me. It's very personal. What we're seeing there is that the final judgment is about what we do. It's not about the church we attend. It's not about the checks that we write to great causes. It's about how are we personally involved. You know, I had a friend share a dream with me that he had after we had talked about this. We were, we were unpacking these thoughts with each other. and He shared this dream he had where he was on trial. It was like a courtroom, and he was on trial. And God was the judge, and Jesus was the prosecutor. And 
the jury was made up of the least of these, the widow, the orphan, the homeless, the addict, the guy in prison. And he said, in this courtroom, you want it to be found guilty. Because Jesus, the prosecutor, was asking the jury, do you know this man? Do you know him? And the jury was going, no, I don't know him. And, and he's sitting there going, hey, I, I, I pastor such and such church. And the jury goes, oh, yeah, we know the church. But I don't know you. Wow. Think about that. It's more than just the church we attend. It's more than just the causes that we kind of loosely support. We have a part to play. We're supposed to be that reflection of the Father's heart in a personal way, whatever that looks like. It's what Christ was modeling for us. It's what he's saying the final judgment really is about. So really the question that, we're being asked in Matthew 25 is, who is your story? And when you frame it that way, it kind of changes it a little bit. Can I answer that really easily? Can I give you a name of whose story I'm a part of? I can tell you all about my story. I know the details of that story. But it really, really shouldn't stop there, right? So we want to challenge our people. We want to lead our people to a place where that's the question they're ready to answer. Oh, I can tell you whose story I'm a part of. You know, Benjamin Franklin said, uh, I love this quote. He said, a man wrapped up in himself is a very small bundle. And I think that's, I think that's true in a lot of ways true of our culture. We're very, very self-centered. Really, that's the most rampant sin in our culture today is our self-centeredness, especially Western culture. In a way, I think this is a challenge to us as leaders to rescue our people from themselves. You know, um, Jesus was a will-be kind of guy. He never looked at somebody who they, uh, as they were, their current state. If you notice, when he spoke to them, he always spoke to who they're becoming, the journey they're on. He saw their destiny despite the circumstances. Um, you could think of it as a search and rescue mission, really. He was on a grand search and rescue mission, and he knew who he was looking for. That's what we are. We are the search and rescue mission continued. The church, the big C, talking the church collectively. We are that search and rescue mission You know, as pastors and leaders, I think the best thing that we can do is not to worry about solving the problems of our people. Um, that's great. But I don't think that's what, that's not the best thing we can do. You know what the best thing we can do is? Show our people something bigger than themselves. Help them see the story that they are a part of. The bigger story and the part that they have to play in that story. Help, help, help our people get their eyes off themselves 
and start looking out, looking for the one. So how do we do that? Acts 20, uh, 35 talks about being generous and helping the weak because it's more blessed to give than receive. You know, uh, in the session this morning, there was something that was said that really stuck with me. And, uh, you know, Pastor Brady said, it's one thing to teach what you know. It's another thing to give what you have. And you can't give it if you don't have it. You can teach what you know all day long. And I think we talk about this verse, many others like it, from here. I think as leaders, we got to give it from here. So we got to create space for that generosity to give because it is better than to receive. And it's not just giving to the work that we are doing or that we're leading as a ministry, right? As a, as a pastor, a leader. It's not just the invitation for them to give to what we're a part of. I had a friend say, um, you don't give to a church, you give through a church. That's really what we're about, right? We, we, kingdom mentality. Let's get our people giving through the church. And, and maybe that's writing a check to the church or maybe that is writing a check because of a message that they were a part of, or maybe that's not writing a check at all. Because we think of give in terms of finances, always. Give, give, give. Money, money, money. No, you give yourself. You serve, you give, you reach out, you love people. Were you guys here for the session last night? Love God, love people. Real simple stuff, right? It's good stuff. That's what, our pe- that's, that's, that's what we need to lead our people towards. Uh, as we discover God in the church setting, we must also distribute. We weren't meant to be a storehouse of the presence of God. We were meant to discover and distribute. And so as a, as a pastor, as a leader, we got to think creatively. How are we giving our people lanes? Not just to discover God. That's the obvious part at church. That's what we're, we're doing every Sunday. But how, where, where are the lanes for them to distribute, to become a part of the work, to be the vision of, of the church, the calling that you have as a pastor, as a leader, to be that and walk it out in a personal way, to take that and carry it into their, their sphere of influence. Do I have any uh, football fans in here? Just, just a few? Okay, somebody, give me your team. Philly? What'd you guys do with Tebow, man? Well, like, it, like God was a fan for like the whole off season, and then what happened? <laughs> so we've got we've got some fans. There's probably some Broncos fans in the house. Yes, Lord. We have short memories. It stung a little bit the last couple of seasons, but you know we're we're, we're doing all right. That's right, faith without works is dead. I like it. Here, here's what I love about football. You ready for this? This is, this is I'm going to give you kind of a, a different perspective on football. You have a stadium. Think about Broncos State. 80,000 fans in the stadium watching these amazing athletes. I mean, superb machines of athleticism in great shape. And you got 80,000 fans who desperately need exercise, 
watching them. Have you ever thought about the irony of that? 80,000 people who need exercise watching the like best athletes, the people who exercise the hardest. I think that's hilarious. But um, I don't think it's hilarious when our church looks like that. When the church is full of people who desperately need exercise, but we're just watching some really great athlete. You know, I think most of us have lived our lives, most of our lives, for ourselves. But here's the good news, and this is the good news for your people, because that's true of your people. Think about the people who are a part of your church, the people that you lead. Most of them have lived their lives for themselves. Some are aware of it and some aren't. But the good news is we're not done yet. We can finish strong. We as leaders can challenge them to finish strong. Life will either be spent with intention and purpose or it's going to be drained by superficial pursuits and stress. There's no other option. One or the other will happen. And I think as leaders, we, it's our duty to help, help them have the lanes to spend their lives, not have their lives drained, to show them, model that, challenge them to it, give them the opportunity to spend their life with intention and purpose. Matthew 15, 29 through 39 shares a, a great story. I think this is a great example uh, of the, the way we need to be involved See, uh, if you guys remember the story, Christ has been preaching and teaching and there's a lot of hungry people. You remember the story? Miraculous, right? We feed thousands of people, right? Okay. Have you ever thought about the fact that that story where you feed the multitude, where Christ feeds the multitude, the miraculous... There's a number of ways the miraculous could have played out. This is God. And he says, hey, let's, uh, let's take a little and let's make it a lot and let's feed all these people. And he gets the disciples involved. He gets everybody involved in the process, right? You know, have you ever thought about the fact that this is God? He could just say, oh, man, all the people are hungry. Be full. Everybody's full. It's Thanksgiving. Trip the fan and everybody right now. He could have done it. He could have said, be full. He could have just spoke the words, be full. Everybody be physically nurtured and satisfied. No need for anything else. That would have been a miracle as well, wouldn't it have? Oh, suddenly, all these hungry people, I mean, if they're like me, they're hangry. I mean, it talks about Jesus noticed. He was aware. The people are hungry. He turns, he turns to the devil, the people are hungry. We're going to do something about this. He recognized the physical need and didn't just like, well, no, I'm preaching, and there's spiritual things going on here. Forget about hunger. That's, a, that's the flesh. It wasn't that. It was, oh, they're hungry. Let's give them some food before we continue. Recognizing the physical is important as well as the spiritual. Meeting the need. 
Um, our founder, actually, at One Child Matters, our founder ha- ha- had a quote that I- I- I've always held on to. A hungry stomach has no ears. And I understand that. My wife will tell you. I don't have ears. I don't have manners. I don't have I don't I don't even I don't even I don't have anything when I'm hungry. Nothing but a bad attitude, really. My wife actually carries around a granola bar. And I'm telling on myself here, this is like, yeah, this is a little vulnerable moment. My wife carries around a granola bar in her purse. Cause she'll when I get hangry, she's like, pow, right and just I'm like the Snickers commercial. I really am. I'm that guy. First time I saw that, I was like, ah, oh, that's that's about me. It's like a like a biography. Um, But Jesus looked at the situation and he didn't just say be full. He didn't take away the physical need. He didn't remove it. He met it. And the way he chose to meet it was to involve his people. Let them be the mechanism by which that need was met. There is something in that for us as leaders. See, I think Jesus wants us to be as close to the need as possible. I think that's where, he, that's where the sweet spot is, when we're close to the need. I think that's where we find our identity. I think that's where we know who he is. And in that, we can know who we are. And only in that can we know who we are. So when you think of a heartbeat, it flows in and out, right? It can't just flow in endlessly. It's got to go out. You can't just consume. can't consume. You got to give. It's got to go both directions. I think that's the heart of God. So your people need to know a couple of things. One, they need to know that there is something about them that is very, very unique. That nobody else possesses. And that God designed it that way. And they also need to know that there is something that they possess that can bless someone else. Something inside of their story will do something for somebody else that nothing else can. There's a power in seeing how your story can be the mechanism by which God works on this earth. There's a power in that. We all know um, Mark 8, 34 through 36, deny yourself, lose your life. If you lose your, yeah, that, you, we know, we know the scripture, right? So let's talk about what that means. Well, it means calling people to difficulty voluntarily. It's just not, I mean, we love to talk about our difficulty. Man, it's been a rough week. We didn't volunteer for that. <laughs> that happens, right? But you know what? We as Christians are called to volunteer difficulty. We know life's not going to be easy. Jesus never promised that. But, you know, really Christ invited us into difficulty. We need to be set free from ourselves. You know, this is at the, the, the very core 
of the gospel. You know, we talk about compassion in ministry a lot. We use that word compassion. That word actually means to co-suffer. It's not just like feeling bad. You know, when it says that Christ was moved with compassion, it's not saying he felt bad. It was saying he, he, he was co-suffering. He wanted to step in and join the journey. Walk alongside. See, you, compassion is not a feeling, it's an action. And we throw it around like it's a feeling. There is no compassion without action. So what do we do? Okay, as leaders, so, so we've talked about it, we've set it up. I think everybody in the room right now is going, yes. We need to reach out to the one. We need to make a difference. We need to challenge our people to become the mechanism for Christ's work on this earth, the redemptive work on this earth. So let me give you four things. Can I give you four things I think we need to do? This is how we build a a culture of changing the world for one. I challenge you to be a church that prioritizes those who will be over those who already are. Be the church that is on that search and rescue mission. And when you are building your programs and your outreaches and your, your culture as a church, I want you to think about that. Think about the person who isn't there yet. Two, number two, I, I want us to be the church that is built on the sacrifices of many rather than the gifts of a few. Like that football analogy. We don't, we don't want to build our churches on the talent of a couple of people. We want to build our churches on the sacrifice of all of us together, co-suffering, impacting our world, reaching the person who's not there yet. We're called to live out a costly Christianity, a compassionate Christianity, and a courageous Christianity. And I know sometimes we get it mixed up because we don't all have the same spiritual gifts. We're created differently. But you know what? We all have the same responsibility. There's a difference between our giftings and our responsibilities as Christ followers. That's why Matthew 25 spoke to all of us. I, you, I, you, I, you. It's not like, well, if your gift is hospitality, then you need to be the guy who turns around and introduces yourself to the first-time visitor. No, it's all of our responsibility to love on people. Number three, be a church that lives, up, lives life to store up treasures in heaven. Matthew six nineteen talks about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? Sambeth. Treasure. Treasure the one. You know, friends, uh, I had a friend tell me once that you can't take it all with you, 
but you sure can send it all ahead. Have you ever heard that? I like that. Let's be the church that sends it all ahead. Let's store up our treasures in heaven. And number four, let's be a church that is glocal. Yes, I said glocal. I made up a word, glocal. Global and local, right? You may have heard that before. That's, that's a philosophy that Christ gave us. That was a command. If you want to grow your church, you have to care about more than your church. Oh, man, that was good. That's tweetable. I'm going to tweet that. God so loved the world. Did you know that the Bible has more than 250 verses about God's love for the nations? He repeated it a few times just in case we missed it. 250 verses about God's love for the nations. Acts 1.8 is uh, right before the ascendance, right? So Christ is like, okay, guys, I'm taking off. I'm going to give you a... I'm going to give you one last thing, which for me, when you read that, you're going, okay, last thing, last thing he's saying might be a little important. Let's, let's lean in. Let's, what is he saying? He's saying, be my witnesses in Judea. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, right? We know the scripture. What I want to point out here is it's not be my witnesses in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or the uttermost parts of the the earth. It also doesn't say um, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Samaria, then Judea. You You see where I'm going with this? It's not... It's not an if-then proposition. It's not an order. It's not like a, a linear progression. It's an all of. He says, and, and, and. This is what his command is. Be my witnesses everywhere. Everywhere. I think we've missed that a little bit. I think we think in terms of budget. And we think in terms of money, if I spend it here, I can't spend it there, so what do, I, what do I do? Okay, well, I'll do this first, and then somewhere down the road when our budget is this big, or, you know, we, we have the right programs in place, or we have this many members, then we'll go here. Or we just treat it as a, I'm called here. This is it. This is my calling. Right here. Uh, I think we're supposed to do it all. I think that's what, what the heart of our Father is. And I think we're supposed to do it personally. And you know what I think it takes for us to do that is just to be creative. We just need to be creative. We've got to stop thinking in terms of money. Let's think in terms, let's put, let's put our mission where our mouth is. Let's, 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 let's be that reflection of Christ. In closing, let me share one of my favorite quotes with you guys. 
I think it captures really what, really what, what, I, what I've wanted to share with you today. It says, I believe in person to person. Every person is Christ for me. And since there is only one Jesus, that person is the one person in the entire world at this moment. That's Mother Teresa. See, Mother Teresa made a bit of an impact on this world, didn't she? I would say she qualifies as a world changer. And you know what's cool about Mother Teresa? It's not just the church that thinks she's a world changer. Her impact rippled out far beyond the church. And it's because she went after the one. And I love that thinking, what if we, as a church, as leaders, what if we challenged our people? What if we led our people in such a way that we would all live our lives with that thought? That the one person that we are looking at at that very moment is Jesus on this earth and therefore they are the only person in the entire world at this moment. Could you imagine what that'd be for the guy who wanders into church with a very broken story having never heard the gospel before? If he felt that, that we didn't look past him or didn't see him as a number in the crowd, but we saw him as the only person in the entire world in that moment. What would that do? And how would that please the heart of our Heavenly Father? Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much for this opportunity. This opportunity to come together as a as your children, who you love. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to grow together as leaders, to grow together in the calling that is unique to each of us, but the responsibility that is shared by all of us. Father God, thank you for the opportunity not just to be your hands and feet on this earth, but to, to reflect your heart. God, I ask that you would just take the, the, the things that you have shared with our hearts today. Lord, may they go deep. May they take root. Will you water them? Will you have it grow? Not so we can consume but so we can distribute, that it would be in and out. And Father God, help us to be the leaders and the church, the big C church, your bride that will go after the one. Thank you for new life. Thank you for the new life conference. Thank you for all of the great truth that you have brought just for us because you know our name 
You know our face. You know our story. You know the number of hairs on our head, and you love us so much. Thank you. Help us, Lord, to change the world together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for coming. So we've we've got just a, a few minutes. If anybody has any questions, I do want to I do want to point out we actually uh, if you have questions about one child matters, if you came here with questions about that and what we can what we can do to serve the vision God's given you, um, our president Mark Plummer is here, uh, as well as Adam and uh, Curtis and Ty, a couple members of my team. Uh, they'll be happy to get to know you and and answer any questions you have. Uh, about One Child Matters. Um, and if anybody has any questions, we have a, a, a few minutes, you know, throw me a question. I'll, I'll be happy to answer it if, about this, this idea, this philosophy, um, or, or ministry philosophy, or anything, anything at all. Great, we're good. We all got it. That's awesome. What's that? I'm sorry. Preaching. You're preaching, so I want you. I want you. To... I thought Galatians six two fit perfect with your message. Uh, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's not only just one child, but it's. I love what Mother Teresa said. It's whoever you're with at that moment. Look at that person as Jesus, and bear their burdens, and whatever you can do, just love them. Right. That's it. That's the gospel. Thank you. Thank you. Any other thoughts, comments, questions? I'm from a ministry in Albuquerque, New Mexico called Expect a Miracle, and we bring brothers and sisters off the streets that are addicts and just crushed and um, to the point where we incorporate Jesus into their lives and show them that there's another way into that. And there's a lot of people coming and going and that don't make it, but for everyone that does, it's for the bigger picture of what God's plan for us is, and that makes a big impact on what God has for us. And that's the same concept of what you're doing for the children, and I just appreciate that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And I want to tell you, um, with that thought, um, what's so cool is that those stories are stories that God has a purpose for in somebody else. And no other story will reach that person the same way. And that's, what's, that's, what's, that's what I love about God is it's, it's both ways. It's not, it doesn't stop. It's not transactional. It doesn't stop. There's no end. It's eternal. I love that. I love the way... The kingdom works. You know, actually, um, you reminded me of something. Can I share something with you guys real quick? So just a few weeks ago, we uh, launched partnership at a church um, down in inner city Houston. And uh, this church is in the thicket of some rough, rough neighborhoods, reaching some people who are in desperate need. And uh, we, we did this big sponsorship launch and got a bunch of children sponsored. And after service, I'm in the lobby, you know, talking with people about the children that they're going to be sponsoring. And I had this guy come up to me, and he made such an impact on me. This guy came up, and if you were to see him, young man, tall, athletic build, tatted all over, rough, real rough looking. Like, I'm, t- I'm t- like, 
I was like, man, I want to know this guy's stories. But I was like, this is going to be, this is like, we're watching a movie. It's going to be intense. Uh, and he came up and, he, and, and he, he walked up to me and he handed me $39 in cash. And I said, hey, man, what's your name? What's this for? He said, I, I, I have some things going on in my life right now that I can't sponsor a child. I can't commit to it because of some things that I can't control. But I wasn't going to let that stop me from being a part of somebody's story. And I wanted to give you $39 to pay for one month of sponsorship for one of these children, somebody who's not sponsored. And my heart was so deeply moved in that moment because I could tell that that $39 represented such a huge sacrifice for him. And he was so full of joy as he handed me this $39. His name was Oliver. So Oliver walks away with his his wife who is pregnant. They're pushing a stroller, another baby. Both of them look like they've really had a rough go of it. And they leave, and the pastor of the church comes over, and he's, man, I'm so pumped. We're changing the world today, blah, 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 right? He's, he's amped. I'm like, dude, I got to tell you, this guy, Oliver, what's his story? What is his story? Because I just had this moment. Something happened right then. And so he starts to tell me his story. So Oliver was one of the head crips in Houston. And Oliver was about to go to prison for a very, very, very long time. He's looking at 50 years. Now, I don't know what happened to cause the 50 years, but I know that's a long time in prison. That's a colorful story. That's what I, that's what I hear. There's, there's a lot of strands in what God's weaving together in his life. And, and so Oliver had been saved through their prison ministry just a little while earlier, dramatically, I mean, just radically saved. And they actually helped for him while he's awaiting trial to be able to be out and be with his wife who's pregnant. And he has been at the church nonstop because of what Christ is doing in his heart. He can't get enough. And the life that is in Oliver's eyes, when he handed me, that $39, and the way I could see that he got it, like my story is now part of somebody else's story. One of the coolest moments I have ever experienced. And then to go even further, I found out that he actually that morning had found out that they were being evicted. He was in the process of being evicted that day, 50-year prison sentence hanging over his head, and he was at church, and he gave probably the last bit of money he had. And he was excited, and it unlocked something in his heart. That's the power of that one reaching one, you know? And you're, as you were sharing about the ministry that you're a part of, that's it, man. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you guys for coming. I know time's up, so I want to get you on to... The good stuff. Get to the good stuff. Thank you guys so much.